Hi there, this is the Rev. Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. Well, as I'm recording these words, Christmas 2019 has come and gone. It's almost the new year, and for the most part, life and the world is returning to normal. The baby's been born, and we've been to the manger, and thanks be to God for that birth. But what happens now? What about that baby? And and what about all the promises that he engenders? Peace on earth and goodwill amongst all people, the end of all oppression. It's a good question for us to consider in this Christmas tide, and it's the subject of today's message, which concludes our sermon series that's been drawn from the words of O Holy Night, and, and it's entitled, In His Name All Oppressions Shall Cease. It's based on Isaiah chapter 63, verses 7 through 9, and Matthew chapter 2, 13 through 23. And it begins with some thoughts, some memories for me, on what happens after any baby is born. And so the baby was born. You know, speaking as one who has been there three times, I can say with some assuredness that when you are a parent awaiting the birth of a child, especially if it's your first, you tend to be filled to overflowing with this hopeful, awe-filled, and all-encompassing sense of great expectation. I mean, that is to say that everything in your life, and I do mean everything, suddenly becomes about that coming moment when that child will finally come into the world. I mean, you're checking out potential baby names, you're getting the nursery ready, uh, maybe you're taking childbirth classes. I remember back in a prior church, we used to host Lamaze classes at the church, And I always knew when they showed the childbirth video because the men, one by one, left the room. (laughs) No joke. But you do that. And everything else that's going on, in and through all of that, you're daily watching and feeling for telltale kicks within the mother's womb. Mostly, you wait. And over those seemingly endless weeks and months of waiting, you dream. You dream about what it's going to be like for, about having a baby around the house, for crying out loud. About who that baby's going to look like, who that baby's going to take after, which is almost as important. And about what she or he will grow up to become. So much anticipation. And yet it can't even begin to measure up to that ultimately indescribable moment when at last... The baby is born. You're holding that baby in your arms and and you're quite literally enveloped with all the joy and the wonder at the miracle of life. And and I know from those who, who adopt, it's the same experience. It's like the fulfillment of all this waiting. But then, after the baby is born, something else happens. Simply put, you become a parent. I mean, you bring this child home and suddenly your lives become all about taking care of this living, breathing, little 
bundle you brought home. Holding it, feeding it, calming it, changing it, cleaning it. And it's everything and nothing at all what you ever expected it to be. You know, I remember very, very well that, uh, that uh, one of the most terrifying moments of my young life up to that point was the first time I was the one to give our firstborn, Jake, a bath. Scared me half to death. You're still filled with wonder. That goes without saying. But now it's combined with all the concerns that go along with taking care of a newborn. Moreover, everything that was considered normal in your life radically changes. Mealtimes, sleep patterns, any semblance of time management, and most especially your own personal list of priorities. You somehow learn immediately by grace to configure the straps of a baby car seat. You find that you never, ever, ever go anywhere ever again without extra diapers or a change of clothes. And you find out, much to your chagrin, that the baby's binky, blanky, lovey bear is not only your child's best friend, it's yours. <laughs> Mostly, though, and you parents and grandparents know this, after the baby is born, you get serious, don't you? You start to worry about a great many things, some of them rational, some of them a little bit irrational, but you still worry. The sound of a cough sets you off, the, the changing in that child's rhythm of breathing, or, or the appearance of a rash that puts you on alert and sends you to the pediatrician in the wee hours of the morning. You become mindful to the point of obsessive about baby-proofing every potential danger in your home and, and every item that ever comes into contact with your child must first be cleaned and sterilized often more than once. That's baby number one, baby number two. Male, different, but still. But while you are ever vigilant about everything you can fix, here's the thing. You also become acutely aware of all the real-world dangers out there that you can't control. From, and this happens not only when they're babies, but as they grow up, from skin knees to, to hurt feelings to childhood diseases and an ever-threatening and encroaching world that's out there. Much different, as we all know, than the one we grew up in. And yet even then, even then, you're a parent and you still do everything in your power to protect your child from anything and everything they will inevitably face in life. And you do it, you see, because almost immediately from the time you held that baby in your arms, you figured it out. It's not about you anymore. It's about the baby. It's always about the baby. And when it's your kid in trouble, short of becoming a raving maniac, you'll do just about anything it takes to keep that baby from It's a lot, to be sure, and more than a little bit unsettling. <clears throat> Moving from this blissful state of expectation to an anxious and ever-heightened state of preparedness. But this is what happens, you see, after the baby is born. <clears throat> Even, and I would say most especially, when the baby is Jesus.
Actually, I would agree with David Lowe's who says of our gospel text for this morning, the one that Lisa just shared with us, that is too soon. It comes way too soon because after all, we just celebrated Christmas. And truly it was only five nights ago, friends. We were all here at the manger with Mary and Joseph. We were gazing with, ad- ad- with adoration at this newborn child. The Christ child, this one for whom we had waited and watched and prepared and lit candles for for so long. Christmas Eve was an amazing, beautiful, and hope-filled night. It always is. And who could blame us for wanting to tarry there at the nativity just a little while longer, perchance to stand shoulder to shoulder with, with shepherds and to kneel with the magi at his cradle to listen a little bit to the stars, to hear angels' songs. But you see, Matthew, in his gospel, will have none of that. For no sooner do those wise men leave for their own country by another road, everything changes. Suddenly, an evil king threatened by this child who was born king of the Jews and realizing that he'd more or less been duped by those three, those magi, three or how many there were, flies off then into this jealous, angry, violent rage. And, and then innocent children are being slaughtered. Women throughout Bethlehem are weeping after the manner of Rachel as in accordance with ancient prophecy. And the holy family... The ones who we came to worship and adore on Christmas Eve, Mary, Joseph, and the wondrous Christ child, they are forced into the role of refugees fleeing to Egypt, to Africa, mind you, for their very lives. Now, we've said before in this series that Matthew's version of the Nativity story is much more cut and dry than that of Luke. And it's certainly much more somber in tone, is it not? And yet I dare say here that Matthew manages to move us quite dramatically, in fact, from the anticipation of Advent to the revelry of Christmas to the real world that Christ came to save. The baby's been born, that's true. And it is glorious. But the world into which Jesus has been born is one filled with pain and with suffering. A world where terrible things happen every day. A world of evil where palaces are often the places of corrupt power, where the righteous cower in fear and the innocent suffer. A world, when you think about it, is not all that different from today. Truly, friends, the weeping and wailing so prevalent in this morning's scripture, they clash with the the songs of glory and love that we've been singing all throughout this season. But then again, even as we were gathered the other night for our Christmas Eve rituals of worship and song and candlelight, even then we were acutely aware that sadness and suffering was even in that moment in our world rearing its ugly head. Evil, you see, much as I hate to say it aloud, is a hard and fast reality in a sin-filled, broken world. Such was the time in Jesus' birth 
And so it continues now. For you see, to quote pastor and a self-described online homilist, whose name, great name, Bass Mitchell, even though, as indicated in this morning reading, Herod did die, the fact is, Mitchell writes, Herod's spirit lives on, still haunting every little town of Bethlehem, every city, every nation. For Herod, he says, is not just a long-dead king, but represents the very real presence of evil in our world, evil that still seeks the destructions of innocence and of goodness and of light. Herod, Mitchell goes on to say, is alive and well in the violence and crime that each year does untold harm to children. Each time a child is physically or sexually abused, every time hunger and disease claim yet another innocent, we can say it for sure that Herod lives. Friends, one thing we need to understand about this horrific story of the slaughter of innocent children in the region around Bethlehem is that it really represents a larger story, a much larger story of evil and of death. It's a story of how the seat of power in the world fights against God's intent that peace and justice is to rule in the hearts and lives of his people. What we've been reading, especially today, is a story that is as old as time. Innocents have been dying since the dawn of history, and corrupt power continues to run rampant even unto our own time. So, given that hardcore reality of our life, friends, how is it, how can it possibly be that we can be so bold as to sing the words of that carol from O holy night that say, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Well, that, dear friends, is where the good news of the gospel enters in. This incredible good news that after the baby was born, the story did not end. For what we find in this passage and throughout the gospel story is that whatever atrocities the Herods of this world might commit, the good news is that God is in charge. That whatever discord and evil surrounds us in this life, God does provide for our needs no matter what. It's all there. It's there in the story of the holy birth and its aftermath. How in a dream, God motivated the Magi not to return to Herod, but depart to their own country by another route. It's there in the angel of God who not only inspired Joseph to take Mary as his wife and raise the child as his own, but also in a moment of impending danger, motivated Joseph to rise up and get out of town. And even after the death of Herod, God continues to lead the family of Jesus to the place where they would become safe, to where Jesus would grow, as Luke puts it, where Jesus would grow and become strong, filled with wisdom and the favor of God, eventually beginning a public ministry along the Jordan River and the Galilee seaside, that place where Joseph was led to bring Jesus. From the very beginning, you see, God has a greater purpose in mind, and not even the evil of this world could vanquish it. Even many years later, 
When on the cross, it seemed as though a hurting and hurtful world had finally succeeded in bringing darkness back into the world. When it finally appeared that all of what was ever good was defeated, even then, friends, evil could not conquer the Son of God, this one who by dying rose to life. The good news, and we hear it in this very somber passage this morning, is that God will not give up. God will not give up on the love that he has and has always had for creation. God will not give up on the world as he has envisioned it and set it forth. And God will not give up on you and me as his children. In spite of the evil of this world, and despite our own burgeoning faithlessness at times, God is faithful. Now, that faithfulness might involve a warning to get up and and flee the danger at hand, or it might be for us a clear directive to stand our ground. But God will always seek to guide us to exactly where we need to be, nudging us toward the places of living where we can be of the most use in God's purpose for us in the world. Even when the world and its evil seeks to vanquish our spirit, And even in those times when, for whatever reason, we let it happen, God's not given up. Because with God, it's always been about us. Just like a new parent does anything to preserve and protect and love that new baby in her arms, that's how God embraces us. And that infinite love begins and it abides and it triumphs in Jesus that little helpless crying infant who grew up. Our readings for this morning remind us that birth, however joyful, also involves pain. That freedom costs and that the struggle with that which is evil in our world goes on. We are also assured here that God has promised to take care of us. That God is a God of love who shows us what love is most about and does it in the life of Jesus Christ our Lord. What was it that we heard in Isaiah's prophecy this morning that Lisa shared with us? It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. He lifted them up and carried them all as in the days of old. It's that same presence that continues to carry us today. Well, alas, our time at the manger is nearly at an end for another year, and and now we go back to the world with all its uncertainty and its danger. But the good news of this Christmas tide and always is that we are not left just to return to life as normal, but we are carried and strengthened by God's own presence in Jesus, who is with us, who is our Emmanuel. That's an important thing for each of us to remember as we leave here today and as we move forward into a new year. In fact, I would uh, suggest to you this morning that maybe the best thing we can do in this new year, and by the way, a new decade, who'd have thought that, is to purposefully open our ears and our hearts to hear those heavenly words of warning and leading that might just be offered to us so that we 
can claim the power of Jesus Christ himself in order to overcome whatever evil and discord may surround us. And speaking both as persons and as a people, as the people of God, we can rejoice in the assurance that in his name, all oppression shall cease. In anticipation of that great and glorious day, may each one of you, friends, have a happy and blessed new year. And dear friends, may our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, And in His Name All Oppression Shall Cease. It's the last part of our current Advent and Christmas sermon series on the way to the Holy Night and was recorded during our December 29th service of worship at East Congregational Church. Just a reminder here that if in the new year you're looking for a place to worship, we'd love to welcome you to East Church. We gather for worship each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road in Concord, New Hampshire. And I know that if you come, you will feel welcome the minute you walk in the door. I would love to be able to greet you in person. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry, and I thank you for listening. And I thank you for your support of this podcast throughout this year. And until next time, may God bless you not only with a great day, but also a happy and blessed new year. Talk to you soon.